So what was that? Oh, different types of hearts, you know. Um, and what he said was when the sower sows the word, comparing it with the seed. If, if you're just here casually and just like hanging out for the movie or whatever it is, and, you know, this is the boring part of the night for you, you're, you're not going to get anything out of this. You'll lose it by the time I'm done talking. I mean, he, Jesus says Satan comes immediately. He comes immediately and steals the word. He comes with persecution. He comes with uh, the, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, lusts of other things. I mean, he, he will work hard. He is afraid that this will, what this will produce in your life. And so that's where the spiritual warfare is. You have got to purpose to let this stuff take root in you and, and, and grow. And it will change you. And the thing of it is, is this book is going to be building on, building on, building on, building on. So if you let the things you hear tonight slip, then the next time that comes back, you won't have the foundation that you'll need in order to receive as much as you possibly can from that lesson. So it, it's on you. And, you know, we are recording it. There are podcasts. You can go back and listen to it again. Um, strongly recommended. So we're going to get into it. Remember, uh, we started in Chapter 1, which was the introduction. He's going to be talking about the actual operation of the gospel now. We're going to be actually talking about the operation of faith tonight. It's going to be in the last part of the chapter. We're going to go quickly through the first part because I think we've already established it. And he's for the first part of the chapter, he's still making his case to people who have been brought up under the law by going back and taking examples of people who lived before the law and during the law that they weren't justified by the law. They were justified by faith. In, in verse 1, he said, What shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? So obviously he's still talking to Jewish believers now. This is, it's, it's hard. You know, the hardest thing to get over is something that you, that's been established in you by, by a religion. It's more, I mean, that's why chapter 2 is, well, this is, do something about getting stronger Wi-Fi back here. So what shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and that was accredited to him for righteousness because he believed God. Now, remember, when we introduced this, we, we talked about the theme of the book, which was, someone tell me. The gospel, that's right. So, but then what did it say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto righteousness to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. I said righteousness before when I should have said salvation. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Notice it didn't say Abraham believed in God. Everybody believes in God. 
We talked about that in chapter one. Even the people who say they don't, they're really lying to themselves. Everybody believes in God. But the important thing about Abraham and why his faith was accounted to him for righteousness, in other words, he was right with God. In other words, God could work with him and he could work with God is because he believed God. Everybody believes in God, but not everybody believes God. That's important. Remember that. Now, to him who works, his wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. You know, just to real quickly go over this. Anyone have a job here? Work a job? Okay. Well, you know, when you, get, when you get paid, whether they give you a check or you have a direct deposit into a checking account or something like that. You know, well, what, you know, what if you, you did your job and you get paid like every week or every other week? And you know you did everything you were supposed to do. You showed up on time. You worked the whole time. You did all the things you were supposed to do. And then when it came time to get paid, you didn't get paid. <laughs> right? And they said, well, you're not worthy. <laughs> when you say, what happened? You know, you say, there's a mistake here. I didn't get paid. They say, no, there's no mistake here. We just didn't think you were worthy this pay, pay period. But, <laughs> you know, well, the, the, you'd have an issue, right? If it's wages, if you did the work, you deserve to get paid. But we've already, you know, we've spent quite a while establishing the fact that you can't be worthy for salvation. So you can't work for it. There's no, you can't work that hard. You can't be that good. So it's grace. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, and that's, you know, pretty much the difference. You know, why does the Bible say believe on instead of believe in? There's a difference. You're relying on him. You're not just believing in him. You're relying on him. Who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Now he's going to talk about David. Um, so Abraham was justified by faith, but the law hadn't come yet. Abraham was 400 years before the law. So here comes David during the law. Just as David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And now he's going to quote from Psalm 32. And David's writing about uh, here, if you read the whole psalm, he's writing about when he acknowledged his sin to God, he confessed his sin to God, and he received forgiveness for his sins. He said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So not a man who works for it, but doesn't impute sin. And here's David during the law, how? Justified by faith. Does this blessedness come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. But how was it counted? Was he circumcised or uncircumcised? No. See, when it said faith was accounted to Abraham from righteousness, that was in Genesis chapter 15. It was like 17 years later when God made this covenant with him and told him the sign of the covenant will be circumcision. So not while he was circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So for that, you know, so the point being is Abraham walked around for like, I think it was, I said 17 years, something like that. Uncircumcised, but righteous. And as we brought out from chapter 2, you know, circumcision, that's the sign of, of the last covenant. It's equal and parallel to what would be in this covenant, baptism. 
but the baptism doesn't mean anything without the faith. Just the circumcision didn't mean anything without the faith. You know, baptism is, is really supposed to be a, a public outshowing of our commitment to God. You know, I, I used to go to a church in Hempstead uh, that rented a movie theater in, in a pretty run-down area in Hempstead, but there were a bunch of other churches in the area, you know, and, and this one church was having a baptism, and it was... They were doing it outside. I thought it was really cool. I had to stay and watch. I really liked the way they did it because they did it outside. They did it, you know, it was in a, in a um, like, not an industrial area, but like a commercial area. There were a lot of shops and stuff, but it was run down. Most of them were closed. But they were doing it out in the parking lot. You know, they had public parking lots, like, behind all the stores and everything, and they were doing it out there where people could come by, and, and they had, like, this big pool set up. But everybody that got baptized went up and, and gave their testimony before they got baptized, you know, how they came to faith and things like that. It was, it was like their public, it was their, you know, they didn't just do the baptism. They were making a public profession of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the baptism was a symbol of that. I thought that was pretty awesome. Anyway, but that was a sign of the righteousness that they already had. So, again, Without, without the faith, the circumcision was just, you just got cut. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who, who are not only of circum the circumcision, but those who, watch this, walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. His, his example to us is his faith. What we have to do when we get to a point in our lives where we believe God, there's no shortcuts. You can hurry up the process if you Commit yourself to it. But, you know, I'm going to keep reminding you to going through all this as what we're heading for in chapter 12, which is the transition from revealing all the truths that are accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to the practical application and what should we do about it. Where we're, where we're going with this is, you know, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's, it's the only, in other words, it's going to be the only thing that makes sense when you get all these truths in your heart. What do I do with all this? I present myself to God as a living sacrifice, and I don't allow myself to be conformed to this world, but I become transformed by the renewing of my mind that I can prove and discover what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You're going from good to acceptable, which I'm going to remind you of often, doesn't means more than just, well, it's acceptable. It means well-pleasing. means God is pleased with it. And perfect. What's well-pleasing is faith. So you're going to go from good, that's, com that you, that's commitment to you, the Lord, presenting yourselves a living sacrifice, well-pleasing, you learn to believe him. You learn to trust him. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Well, you won't get to perfect until you get to well-pleasing, until you get to trust him.
So verse 13 now. We're going to start slowing down right here. For the promise, it's a very important word, a promise. God provides for us through promise. You've got to learn to trust his promises, and you've got to learn to recognize them when you see them. I'm going to be pointing some of them out to you tonight as we go. And then when you study the word, you'll be able to see him for yourself. This is a promise. This is a promise. And I can count on this promise. I could build my life around this promise. I mean, Abraham built his life around what? Promise. God promised Abraham something, that he would be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So let's talk about promises for a little bit here. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is 2 Peter chapter 1, especially the first four verses. It says, grace and peace is multiplied to us in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace is multiplied through knowledge. This, uh, and, and just, uh, we've talked about this before, but I'm going to keep reminding you of this. This is the word, and, and, you know, it's be helpful to you if you get a concordance where you could look up Greek words. This isn't just normal knowledge. This is the type of knowledge that comes through revelation. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about it. As it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Have any of you ever had an experience with a revelation? Where, where you're just in the word, you're meditating on the word, and all of a sudden something, something just explodes out of you and, it, be, and it, it comes alive in your heart. See, this is what he's talking about. You've got to get that knowledge about all of his promises, and it's available to you if you commit to it, that that's where you want to get. And you know if you've had it that when it, when it happens, it doesn't matter what's going on around you and everything, the whole world can be contradicting that promise, but you know it's more real than what you see. And that's where we want to get to, and that's where we have to get to. Do you understand? God cannot use us if we're not going to trust him, and if we're not going to get this, this revelation. So we have to come to this point. So back to 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I just saw a promise there. And this is how God's promises come. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, I will. He says, I have. Now, what did verse 2 say? Grace and peace is multiplied. So if you just believe that, what you, this promise right here, your peace was just multiplied. Every concern you have, you say, wait a minute, life and godliness, I already have all I need for it right now. I already have it, Right? So what comes with that? Peace. It's like, oh, it's not my problem. God's already taken care of it. Right? I'm listening to my podcast and I'm saying, why am I pausing here? Now I'm, now I'm realizing why I'm pausing. <laughs> I'm in the middle of something and my, and my internet goes out. So... 
his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I love the way he said that because it, people make this sound religious. Oh, yeah, it's very, it's very, God's provided what we need. And they just hear the godliness part of it, right? But So I'm so glad he worded it this way. It means life and godliness. It means, that means, you know, yeah, you can live a holy life now. But it also means life. It also means, you know, you, you, you can, if you need a car, you can, you can have a car. It's provided, right? If you need a home, you have a home. It's provided. If you, need, if you need travel money, you have travel money. It's provided. If you need tuition money, you have tuition money. It's provided. God's every, that's life, right? All things is all things, right? There's no exceptions. You just got to find a promise, Right? And so that's how God's going to lead you. When, when you. when he starts to lead you by his spirit, he's also with that going to establish promises in your heart for you to stand on. So next verse, by which, by what? His glory and virtue have given to us these exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust, through these, through the knowledge of these, through the revealed knowledge of these. You know, I fully believe that this, this revelation from Peter goes back to G Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? You know, Michelle was just asking me a question before uh, we started about generational curses and things like that, you know, and this one says, but they were, it was kind of like that. Would people say this about th this and that about generational curses? I said, you know, show me a chapter and verse that says that that's legitimate, you know, and, and we talked about this anyway. If there was such a thing, you break it by forgiveness. Remember, th remember those lessons? You break it by forgiveness. You break it by walking in the spirit. Walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit, and anything that your generation could go back to Adam, have been, you'll break free of, right? There's freedom in the spirit. It does, and, it does, and you don't have to go back, you know, half a dozen generations or anything like that. You just, you just have to be the one to decide to present yourselves a living sacrifice. Anyway. Uh, so I was in, I was in uh, talking about Matthew chapter 16. So G Jesus said, whom the men say that I am. And, you know, when you talk about things, do you guys ever talk about, well, this one teaches this way and that one teaches that way and this one teaches another way and, you know, the differences of, of who's right and who's wrong and those type of things. And you say, I wonder who's right. Well, see, that's why you need the revelation, right? Jesus said, whom the men say that I am? Because they were saying all kinds of things about him. Oh, you're one of the prophets. You come back from the dead. No, you're John the Baptist. Come back from the dead. You're this one. You're that one. And he says, what do you say? What do you say? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're blessed. Well, why was he blessed? Because he just got that kind of knowledge that we're talking about. Grace and peace is being multiplied to Peter right now. And he said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. 
And that's when actually Jesus gave him the title Peter. His name was Simon by that. Peter means rock. He said, he said on this rock, not you, Peter, but this rock, it's two different words for rock. You're Peter, and on this rock, Peter means a stone. He's the same Peter who later wrote in his first epistle that we are all living stones. On this rock, big rock, made up of all of its little rocks, I'm going to build my church. What did he build it on? He, well, he didn't build it on Peter. He built it on what Peter said, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and everyone who gets that revelation is part of that rock. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But watch, listen to what he said to him next. This is all in Matthew chapter 16. He said, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. That whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So what's my whole point? What am I getting at? By which have given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be a partaker of the divine nature. The promises are the keys to the kingdom. The promises unlock the kingdom of God to you. All things that pertain to life and godliness. You find a promise and you found the key to the door. You get a revelation of that. And having escaped the corruption that's in this world through lust. Hebrews 6.12 says don't, that you don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience. Faith and patience. Patience is the undergirding for faith. Inherit the promises. See, Abraham got himself in trouble when he lost his patience waiting for God to fulfill his promise. It's become a type of trying to do it yourself. I don't know if you know the story, but... And actually, his wife put him up to it. She was... <laughs> she did. She's like, ah, I'm tired of waiting for this promise, you know. I got this handmaid here, Hagar. Just go have a kid by her. And here comes Ishmael, you know. And, and there was nothing but trouble. And it's actually become a symbol of having to live with things that we, that we do on our own apart from God. Oh, you just made an Ishmael, you know. And, and, and nothing but trouble after that. We need patience. And patience... In Bible, patience really isn't just the ability to wait, but it's consistency. You know, and if you're in faith, you, you, you can be consistent. In other words, what, what, what does he mean by consistent? Like the, he talks about being patient in tribulation, being consistent in tribulation. Because if I'm in tribulation, but I'm also in faith at the same time, then the promise is more real to me than the tribulation so I'm not going to be freaking out, right? Any of you have ever seen me in tribulation? You have, but you don't know it. <laughs> you have the ability to be in the fruit of the Spirit all the time. It's not the only the ability, but really that's the goal, isn't it? All the time. All right, let's get back to Romans. For if those of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect. 
It is therefore of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. This is one thing that he was trying to get into their mindset still, and we've talked about this before, you know, that that was really hard for the first Christians who were all Jews to get into their heads that this is for everybody. You know, they had to have a whole council about it when, when God poured out his spirit on the Gentiles on Acts chapter 10, that, you know, they were saying, God poured his spirit out on them. Who are we to say they can't be baptized, you know? They, they were like amazed by it. Even they, they couldn't hear it. But that's, you know, what religion will do to you. I mean, even though Jesus told them time and again, go into all the world, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, don't just find the Jews out there. Every, it's for everybody. And they couldn't hear that because, because of their religious upbringing. See, in Galatians 3.29, says, If you are Christ's, you are Abraham's seed. You know, the promise that God gave to Abraham, he, he said it twice, but he used two different types uh, of it. You know, he said, he said um, first, in, John, in uh, Genesis chapter 15, I think it was, he told him that, Look at the stars of the sky. If you can count them, that's how many, that's how many descendants you're going to have. But then in chapter 17, he said, look at the sand on the seashore. I, I believe that God, you know, God didn't do that stuff by accident. This was all symbolic. Because there was going to be a natural race come out of him. Yes, the Jewish people. That's the sand on the seashore as a, 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 a terrestrial race. But then the stars of the sky, a celestial race, which is the Christians. His spiritual children, which are you and I. You know, Galatians also says that if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay, back to Romans. As it is written, here comes the promise to God. I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they are. So God came to Abraham. Teddy's flashing at me. <laughs> God came to, that didn't sound good, did it? That's going to be on the recording too. <laughs> God came to Abraham, but you need to understand this situation. Abraham was like 90 years old at this point, or maybe 80, yeah, at this point. In Genesis chapter, no, he was 90. This was Genesis 17. I have made you the father of many nations. Now, Abraham's circumstances were like, that's not possible. It's not possible. I got, I, I got no kids. I'm 90 years old. My wife is 80 years old. She couldn't have kids when she was in her 20s and 30s. And now, you, right? But he didn't say that, right? God promised something. And, and the way God said it, I have done it, right? Well, what does God's word say to us? I have provided all things that pertain to life and godliness, right? By the stripes of Jesus, you 
are healed. Do you believe it? Or do you believe what? Right? This is what faith does. Now can you see a little bit of why Galatians chapter 2 says that the wisdom, that spiritual wisdom is foolishness to naturally thinking people? Of course, selfish Christians give it a bad name too. I mean, this this concept of calling things that are not as though they are. I mean, when you, when you act selfishly and, and, and just give it like vain reputations and do things like that, I mean, this happened big time in the 80s when the Word of Faith movement was coming and, and people would just, you know, a lot of people just hear what they want to hear. You know, for instance, let's, let's look at the operation of faith here. It said, who, well, first of all, we'll, we'll look at it in a minute. Contrary to hope, in hope, Believed Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed. And so he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So what is contrary to hope, in hope believed? First of all, you've heard me say this before. Hope is faith's blueprint. Right? So when God said, I have made you the father of many nations, that presented in Abraham a hope. Hope is of the soul. Faith is of the spirit, right? A hope can be also be a desire. We talked about that in the Psalms. Remember, we said, we, we looked at that one where God said, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Trust also in him and he'll bring them to pass. And we brought out that if you hear that selfishly, what you, what you thought God said was, delight yourself in me, I'll give you whatever you want. It's not what he said. You delight yourself in me, and I'll change your heart to desire the same things I desire. And those desires are what? They're a hope. It's a mental image. It's something for you to anchor your, your soul to and for faith to give substance to it. By what? By imitating God. By calling it, even though it's not yet, as though it is. Right? Right? God does that. Didn't the, Bible, didn't the verse just say God does that? Does anyone know what Ephesians 5.1 says? It says, be imitators of God. So if God does it, that means we're supposed to do it. I mean, do you have any problems saying, hey, God's provided everything for me that pertains to life and godliness? Even whether it looks like it or not. Do you have a problem saying that? You shouldn't. That's not believing God. If you say, no, I don't know. Well, then you don't believe God, right? Abraham believed God. Do you want God to be able to work with you? Do you want, do you want to cooperate with him? Well, he can't if you won't believe him. This is the Amplified Bible. Abraham, human reason for hope being gone, hoped on in faith. I like that. Human reason. This had absolutely no reason to believe that this was going to happen. You know? Someone could say, I have no reason to believe I'm going to live. The doctor says, I got about a week. But God says something different. Who are you going to believe? 
He became strong in faith. He hoped in faith that he should become the father of as many nations as it has been promised, so numerous shall your descendants be. So here we have the definition of faith. Hope and faith work together. Hope, faith, and patience. Hope is the goal. Faith is the opens up the venue or, or the, the access for the hope to come into reality. And patience undergirds it so you can stay consistent. See, most of the time, not most of the time, I shouldn't say that. That's, that's, I won't say that. What can happen if we're not diligent is we'll short-circuit our faith without even realizing we've done it. Faith and patience. But hope is the substance, or hope, or I'm, I'm sorry, faith is the substance. So you can even say it this way. Faith gives substance to things hoped for. You know, Bible hope isn't like natural human hope, you know. Natural human hope is, there's, you know, millions of people out there hoping they win the lottery, right? It's kind of a wistful thing. I hope I win the lottery. Well, but they don't really expect to, do they? See, when God makes a promise, I mean, Paul called it in Philippians, I think, chapter 1. He says, my confident expectation and my hope. That's what Bible hope is. It's a confident expectation, like the, the, the catching away of the church or the rapture of the church and the redemption of the bodies in Romans chapter 8 is, calls it a hope. That's not something that we hope is going to happen. It's something we know is absolutely going to happen, just not yet. That's what Bible hope is. It's something that's going to happen. It just has, doesn't happen yet. And faith is the thing that will give that hope substance. Now, before I continue here, and I'm going to start wrapping this up, but this is going to, um, this is pretty important stuff because we're just, we're going to be talking about the operation of faith here. <clears throat> Does anyone got the clue yet or an idea, you should, of how exactly we set faith in motion? How? But what? Yeah, but what, it's not enough to believe the promises. How do you, I mean, you know, you, you, Wilson had it. You release them through your, through your words. I mean, how did you get saved? The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, confess with your mouth that he's Lord, you shall be saved. But the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. Right? I'm going to strongly recommend you spend some real time not only reflecting on this, but reflecting on James chapter 3. I didn't, I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to walk through it. Maybe I will next time. I don't know how slow I'm going to go through this. I want to make sure you get this. But James chapter 3 talks about um, the tongue. He says, we stumble in many things. If we don't stumble in words, we're able to bridle the whole body. In other words, if you don't ever stumble in words, you're not going to stumble ever. Right? And it goes on to compare the tongue with the bridle in the horse's mouth. 
and the rudder on a ship. Now, what are, what are similar about those two things? They steer your course. So the words of your mouth steer your life. Right? In the words of your mouth, release your faith, but they also corrupt your faith. They sabotage it. And here's the bad news about James chapter 3. It says, no man can tame the tongue. Or am I the only one who ever finds myself saying, why did I say that? That's the bad news. So what are we supposed to do about it? If we can't tame the tongue, what are we going to do? How can we tame the tongue? Well, God can. I mean, David prayed, put a watch over my mouth. I mean, that's how important this was to him. But what can we actually do to tame the tongue? It's easy. It's not easy. It's, the, 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 it's simple. The, the answer is simple. See, Jesus said this. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? See, when you're under pressure, what's, what you're full of is what comes out of your mouth. Right? So you, what are you filling yourself up with? When, when something happens and you say something, you're like, oh, my God, why did I say that? Well, you said that because you've been filling yourself up with that. You know, I mean, I, I get sarcastic with, I'm, you know, this is something I still have to renew my mind, I guess. I don't know if I need to repent for this or not. But, you know, when I'm around secular people, they all know where I'm coming from. I don't hide it from anybody, you know, to the point where if they speak with profanity or something like that. And they notice I heard they'll apologize. It's like, sorry, I didn't know you were there. I don't know kind of used to it, but sometimes I, I get a little smart alecky, and I tell them, yeah, Jesus said out of abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, so you just showed us what you're full of. But, <laughs> I, <laughs> but anyways, they don't like it when I do that, so I don't do, I try not to. Okay, so let's, let's look at this. Are you guys, uh, you guys still good? So faith is, all right, here's the operation of faith. For assuredly, this, you know, it's, it's kind of noteworthy to me that Jesus would have to say assuredly. In other words, he's, you know, the person who never said anything unless the Father told him to say it. I say to you, assuredly, I, I could translate it differently. No kidding here. No joke. No exaggeration. You know, because he, he's, he's about to say something that they can't believe. First of all, the circumstances around this is that they were just... Uh, on their way uh, down to Jerusalem, and Jesus, you know, saw a fig tree that he wanted to get some figs from, but it didn't have any fruit, even though it had plenty of leaves. And he said, well, no one's going to eat fruit of you now. And he left, and then they came back, and it was all withered up. And they said, look at that. You know, and, and Jesus said, well, that, you think that's something? Listen to this. Assured you, I say, whoever says to this mountain. Oh, and in the previous verse, he just said, by the way, have faith in God. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Imagine that. There's the operation of faith. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. 
So why aren't we all just going around like someone cuts us off, you know, and blow the car off the side of the street just by speaking to it or things like that? Why? Because it won't work if you don't believe it in your heart and you don't have the capacity to believe it in your heart unless God reveals it to you that that's what he wants you to do. In other words, there's no, you don't have the capacity for that kind of faith unless God reveals to you that he wants you to move that mountain. And a mountain in the Bible, you know, in, in, um, in Zechariah chapter 4, God used the mountain as a type of just not an insurmountable object. Not just, he didn't mean a literal mountain there. He was talking to Zerubbabel who had to build a temple. And it's like, what is this mountain before Zerubbabel? The mountain was the, the task of rebuilding the temple. He says, well, you're going to build it. You're going to move it by crying grace, grace up to you. And how are you going to do it? He says, not by might. This is Zechariah 4.6. Not by power, but by my spirit. It's one of my favorites. I have a lot of one of my favorites, but that's a, that's a good one. That's how you do it. When you say to the mountain, when God reveals it to you, and, and it gets to be a revelation. And you also, you can get the revelation by speaking it to yourself. You know? When God told Joshua, if you want to be successful, you meditate. He said this book of the law, so I'm going to, I'm going to update it, right? These exceedingly great and precious promises shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on them day and night. Now, he's, when he says it shall not depart out of your mouth, he doesn't mean don't speak them. What he meant was don't stop speaking them. Keep speaking them. Stay consistent. Keep speaking them. You can make, you can, because part, actually meditation, the word, the Hebrew word meditation, uh, back there, what God said to Joshua, part of that actually means to mutter. Speak it, speak it, speak it. Remember, remember the, um, the object lesson about the, about the confession of your mouth and, and when you speak, your mind will shut up and listen to what you're saying? So not only, not only will you be confessing the promise, but your mind will be stopped thinking about things contrary to the promise and thinking about what your mouth is saying. You can make the confession of faith, but you can also make the confession unto faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It can be coming out of your own mouth. You hear it when you say it, right? Just, just. An object lesson. Anyone feel a little bit more surge of faith than you did a half hour ago? It works, right? But this is the thing I, I admonish you about when I started this lesson. Satan has already got plans to steal it. They're already in motion. He's already in motion. Jesus said he comes immediately. He, he's, he's afraid of what this is going to do. He's afraid of what you're going to do if this really starts to grow in your lives. Ephesians 4.29, here's, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Let no corrupt word. Well, how are you going to do that? You're going to fill yourself with incorruptible words. And counter corruptible words when they come to you. All right, last verse. Well, second to last. No, it's the last verse. I'm just going to give you two different versions of it. Therefore, remember uh, verse 23, how to, how to move mountains, right? And how to receive the promises. 
I say to you, what things, whatever you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them. When? Believe that you receive them. Oh, you know what? I, I, I left something out in verse 23 that's really important. Let me back up to that if I can real quick. I backed up too far. This is important. Because we saw no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But see, verse 23, verse, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those, this is important, those things. The mountain is singular, but the things are plural. In other words, you don't just believe the mountain when you speak to it. You believe everything you say is going to happen. The just shall live by faith. This is a lifestyle. It's not going to work if you just do it for when there's a mountain in your way and now, oh, I can't move this, so i got to speak to it and get God to do it for me. That doesn't work. You go through life speaking the things you believe, speaking your hope. It's a lifestyle. And the corrupt communication, well, you know, we, th we can think about it as profanity and cursing, and, and, and certainly it is those things. But really, the real corrupt communication when it comes to faith is unbelief. Right? You, you find yourself talking about things that counter your hope, and you corrupt your faith. And that's what the enemy does. He comes, you know, the battlefield is, is the mind. That's a good title that Joyce Meyer has. But that's true. That's where the fight is. Because when you meditate on things, when you, when you worry, you know, worrying is, it's meditating on the problem instead of the solution. <laughs> you meditate on the promises, grace and peace comes. You meditate on the promise, worry, stress, and anxiety comes. And when it gets in your heart in abundance, it's going to come out your mouth. So you've got to guard your thoughts. You've got to fill your heart with those things. You've got to fill your heart with faith. So, last verse. This is uh, the King James Version of that. I, I wanted to read that because of some of the way this is worded. Therefore, I say to you, whatsoever things ye desire. So, this is how, this is how selfish people, the same way with... The psalm, trust in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe. I mean, there were people running around, you know, back in, especially back in Tulsa in the mid-80s. Oh, my goodness. There were people, you know, driving around in like, uh, I think they were even still called Datsuns back then. And, say, and calling them Maseratis and things like that. It's like, you know... <laughs> You know, it's like, well, this is my Maserati. Well, yeah, but I'm believing for a Maserati. Well, what? I mean, I don't know. Maybe God doesn't want you to have a, you know, maybe God wants you to have a Maserati. Maybe he doesn't. But, you know, people are hearing, you know what I mean? If you're just hearing, what can I want, right? Where is this heading? We're presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to him. We want to be useful to him, right? He's got no problem with blessing you, but it has to be in line with the things he's called you to do. I mean, what if you're called to the mission field? What are you going to do with a Maserati? Right? Drive it through a swamp? You're going to need something else, right? 
I mean, he wants you to be successful. I mean, prosperous means being successful in whatever you're called to do in life, right? Anyways, so whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them. Well, there's the other, there's the other catch. You know, First John does make it conditional. He says, if we ask anything according to his will, but it's not really necessary here because, as I said, if you don't ask according to his will, you don't have the faith to believe you receive it when you pray. But that's the thing. When you pray, believe you receive it. In other words, I have it. So if I believe I have it, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you get annoyed at me if I asked you for something and you gave it to me and I asked you again five minutes later and you said you already have it? I said, oh, So you got to, but the, the point is, is to get yourself to a point where you really do believe you receive when you pray. I mean, I don't get, I don't get born again every day, you know. I, I only did that one time. I received it. I don't have to keep praying to get saved every day, do I? No. So if I really do believe I receive something, then what's my prayer about it from that time forward? That's it. Thanksgiving. Oh, I already have that. Because if I have to ask again, I must not have believed I received it when I prayed. So it becomes a corrupt communication. So you know, right? And we're going to just unhook it there for now because it's, yep, getting late. And I think I gave you enough to chew on for a little while, didn't I? Okay. Father, I just thank you and praise you for this opportunity. Can you... um? Stop me, Ashley, please. And, and I just, I believe this was sown on good ground. And I believe that these people are going to take it and run with it. And it will bring forth fruit in their life. And we just give you thanks and praise for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I keep forgetting. Actually, I can't. I'm not connected. I have to try and... Okay, now I, this should work.